I love that song, and it seems like you loved it too. It's a song about names. And since you're already thinking about names this morning, I wanted to start with a riddle about names. Are you ready? You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Pay attention. Two boys are born three and a half years apart. These boys are born in the same city, the same state, the same country. They live in the same house. They have the same grandparents. They have the same parents who are still married, and yet these two boys who are born three and a half years apart have two different last names. How can this be? I see the wheels turning. You want me to just give you the answer? It was my fault, all my fault. You see, when my husband Ernesto and I named our first son, uh, we knew we wanted to name him after my husband so that he would be as Ernesto as well, and so we named my son Ernesto Antonio Te, which is my husband's name. But here's the thing, in Latino culture, you often add the woman's maiden name to the father's last name, and that child takes on that maiden name as their last name, and so our first baby had four names. Ernesto Antonio Tay Walling. But like I said, my husband is Latino, and with the Latinos come all the names, okay? You kind of name your kid after every name and middle name that anyone in your family has ever had, and so you just start piling on the names. And so Ernesto, my husband, says, you know what? Four names is simply not enough. Let's add more. And so he wanted to add my mom's maiden name, which is Salerno, and also his grandmother's maiden name, which is Depeña. And we got his name down to about 10 names and then quickly realized it would not fit on a birth certificate, nor would it fit on a social security card. And we really wanted our child to like us later in life. And so we just gave him the name Ernesto Antonio Tay Walling. Well, when Sebastian, our second son, was born, the nurse hands me the paperwork to start filling it out for his name. And my sweet husband, he knows I had just been through an ordeal. It's my third day in the hospital after a C-section. I'm tired and I'm not feeling well. And he says, why don't you let me do that? Mm, You guys know where this is going. You are so perceptive. Something inside of me rebelled. Right? Like, I just grew a human in my body and brought that human forth into the world. I can fill out some paperwork. And so I won that battle. And as I was filling out the paperwork, I forgot all the names. Well, actually, I forgot one name. My name. The my maiden name, which is Walling. And so now our first son is Ernesto Antonio Tay Walling. And our second child is just plain old Sebastian Edward Tay, no Walling. And that is how two boys are born three and a half years apart in the same city, the same state, and the same country. And they live in the same house with the same grandparents and the same parents who are still married. And they have two totally different last names. Well, once I realized my mistake, um, I did a lot of homework to figure out how can I correct this? This just can't be. And the only solution is you actually have to file an official legal name change, which is very expensive to do. You actually have to go to court and stand before a judge and explain why you want the name to be changed. And so it's a big process, it's a big ordeal. And so my question is, do you really go through all of that to fix it? 
I mean, for all intents and purposes, they both still use the last name Tay. When we register them for school, one is not Tay Walling and the other one Tay. When we register them for camp and for sports, they both have the last name Tay. And when Ernie gets in trouble, I don't say, Ernie Tay Walling, come down here right now. It's just Ernie Tay, get down here right now. When they're busted, it's the same last name, right? So it really doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, except for the fact that it is. It really is. Because I want my boys to know the two families that they come from, Walling and Tay. My first son, Ernesto, is named after my husband, who was named after his father, who was named after his father, for Ernesto Tay's long, and I want him to carry on that legacy of being an Ernesto Tay. And I also want him to carry on the legacy of having that name Walling, because I don't want it to die out with me, so much so that when I got married, I changed my middle name to Walling. I took on my maiden name, and so now I'm Jody Walling Tay. Well, as you know, there is so much thought and meaning that goes into names. And you, no doubt, have your own name story of how you were named or how you named um, your children or your dog or your pet or your car or your plant. Just pick something that you name. It doesn't matter what you name. Names are important. And names mean something. Names mean something important to us. And whether we realize it or not, um, our names bestow upon us two things, two things. Our name gives us both hope and identity, hope and identity. And I really want those two words to sink in with you this morning. So will you say those two words with me, hope and identity? Ready, go. Hope and identity, very good. Well, my younger son, um, Sebastian, we didn't even know what to name him when he was born. We just sat and we're like, we don't know what to call this kid. And so we asked our three and a half year old, what do you want to name your brother? And he's like, I know what to name him. He was really into Formula One at the time. He goes, let's name him Sebastian Vettel, who is a four-time Formula One world champion. And we thought, you know what, that's a great name. Our hope is that our son Sebastian would find his greatness just the way Sebastian Vettel found his greatness. But we also wanted to give him a name that meant something to us. I wanted him to have part of, of my legacy. And so we gave him the middle name of Edward, which is my dad's name, because I wanted Sebastian to live into that identity because my dad is a pretty remarkable guy. So that kind of spoke to the identity part, hope and identity in a name. Well, whatever and however we choose to name the thing we are naming, it truly matters. And I tell you, this is huge crosswinds. Because whether we realize it or not, because of the hope and the identity that our names give us, they have the power to shape us. Because what eventually happens is we begin to live into the names that we are given. They are so powerful. But there's kind of a dark side that comes to names as well. Mavis Himes, she is the author of a book called The Power of Names, and this is what she has to say. She says, what we don't often realize is the conscious and unconscious impact our names have on our lives, sometimes for good and sometimes for ill. Well, I don't know if you like your given name or not. I mean, if you don't like it, it's okay. Some of, some of us don't like the given names that we were given. Um, and I'm talking about this, this negative impact that names have on us. I'm not talking about the names we are given. I am talking about the names that we 
collect throughout our entire lives. These are the names that you get when you give them to yourself, when you make a huge colossal mistake that stains your reputation. This is the name that you get when you have been hurt so badly in your life that you don't even know if you can recover. These are the names that you give yourself in your quiet moments when you don't like yourself, and these names that you don't like about yourself start scrolling through your head. And wherever you go, these names, they have a tendency to follow you. And these names start to have power over you. And actually what they start to do is these names steal your hope in your true identity. Instead of giving you hope and identity that is positive, they start stealing it from you. Because maybe the name that is following you is because of something that you have done. Maybe you were the one who left a marriage or you were unfaithful to a spouse or you betrayed a friend and now wherever you go, those names keep following you. Or maybe the name that is following you is not something um, that you have done or it's something that was done to you. Maybe you are the one who was left or who was abandoned. And because of that, now wherever you go, you just feel rejected and unlovable. Or maybe you were on the receiving end of belittling and hurtful names and remarks that just ate away at your self-esteem, and the, to this day they continue to do that. And no matter what you do, you don't feel confident or good enough. Or maybe, like I said, those names are the names that you give yourself. Because maybe you try so hard to do the right thing all the time, and it never pans out. And when you look in the mirror, all you see is the name prone to screw up, or never going to fit in, or totally inadequate. And, and here's the true reality and power of these names. They don't just follow you. They tend to shape your very existence, because as they steal your hope, and as they steal your identity, they start to do something very, very unhealthy inside of you. And for some of you, that name that you're carrying, it is crushing your self-esteem every day. And as much as you want to move on from that thing that you have done in the past, when you look in the mirror, all you see are your mistakes, and those names just keep piling on. And for others of you, you are carrying names that are ruining and destroying your close, intimate relationships. And as much as you want to move on from that thing that was done to you, your real fear is that someone else is going to do that same thing to you. And so you just keep carrying that name with you as a protection against other people and getting close. But I think the, the, the worst thing, the most tragic thing that happens to us is that those names that we carry, they keep us from God. Because in your quiet moments, you think to yourself, how could God ever love and accept someone named fill in the blank? How could he love someone named? Just pick a name. Well, when we find ourselves um, wearing these names that have kind of this destructive power over our lives, I think we are prone to do one thing. We run. We try and outrun the names. We try and distance ourselves as far as we can from those names. But the thing is, no matter how hard we run or how far we, want, we run, every time you turn around, there you are, right? And the names just follow. And I wonder if some of you have come here this morning and you are running. You ran to that seat that you're sitting in this morning. 
And guess what? That name has followed you right to that seat that you're sitting in. Well, I want to tell you uh, this morning is that there is a solution to the running. There is something that can take away the name that you are carrying, and it can restore to you a hope and an identity that you have had your entire life. You've had it your entire life. It is one that is full of meaning and potential and promise and blessing. And I want to show you what that solution is this morning, okay? The solution that we are going to look at um, comes by us looking at something that happens very on in Jesus' ministry. It's found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And I want to read you the introduction to the passage we're going to look at today, and we'll go from there. Ready? This is what it says. It says, Jesus came from Galilee. He went to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. Now, in order to understand what comes next, I just want to tell you a couple things about this guy named John the Baptist. Um, John was the leader of a community of people who had been waiting for 200 years for this Messiah to come. And the reason that John was the leader of this community is because he was the spotter. He was the spotter. He was going to be able to identify the Messiah when he came on the scene and then he could tell everybody else, okay? And based upon an old prophecy that this community believed to be true, found in the book of Isaiah, they believed that when the Messiah came, he would first appear in this area of the Jordan River. And so entire communities of people had been moving out to the wilderness for 200 years waiting for the Messiah. And they said to each other, like, how do we know we're all part of the same community? And they said, we know. Why don't we get baptized? And that will kind of symbolize us all waiting for the Messiah, okay? So for 200 years, entire communities of people moved to the wilderness to wait for the arrival of the Messiah. And for 200 years, this community is just hanging out going, okay, where is he? And all eyes are on the Jordan and all eyes are on John because he's the spotter, right? Well, one day the Messiah shows up, Jesus shows up and John the spotter recognizes him. And this is what happens next. It says um, in Matthew 3.13, again, Jesus came to Galilee. He went to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. John tried to stop him and he said, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? And Jesus said to him, let it be done now. We should do what is right. John agreed and baptized Jesus. When Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened he saw the Spirit of God coming down and resting on Jesus like a dove. A voice was heard from the heavens, and it said, This is my much-loved Son. I am very happy with him. Now remember, up until this point, we don't have any record that Jesus had been seen anywhere as an adult. Like, he was totally MIA. Now, I'm sure he was somewhere, but none of the gospel records record any of his adult activity until now. No words until now when he says, baptize me. I mean, he doesn't say, hey, you guys, sorry I took so long. I mean, I know I've been, you've been hanging out here for a long time, and I'm sorry you haven't seen me in 30 years. Or, hey, you guys, thanks for coming out. I really appreciate you uprooting your lives and coming out here waiting for my arrival. When he shows up on the scene, his first words are, baptize me. And John, poor John, 
John just starts to freak out a little bit. He's like, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Why are you asking me to baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, John, settle down, settle down. You need to do it right now. You need to do it right now. Do what is right. And in that moment, as the entire community is watching, something staggering happens. As, as John is baptizing Jesus and he's bringing him up out of the water, God's voice comes from heaven and God announces to the entire community. He says, this is my much loved son. I am happy with him. Now I want you to put just a pin in that for a second. And um, I'll tell you, my husband and I have quite a few sets of friends who are now starting their families. And it's really fun to see them um, start their families. I mean, we're getting all kinds of things in the mail about, about their children and it's fun watching them grow because it's been a minute since we have been in that season of life. But I'll tell you, it never ceases to amaze me all of the new things that are, are being developed and the way things are, are happening that people are announcing and celebrating the birth of their children. Um, we've all seen these before, creative pregnancy announcements. We've seen a lot of those around. Um, creative and fun birth announcements. That's fun. Well, when these got boring, um, people started doing these things called gender reveal parties, right? Well, I guess too many of those went wrong, and now people are opting for something a little safer and maybe a little more meaningful. Many new parents are opting for something called a naming ceremony. Have you heard of this? It's kind of a thing uh, right now, and these are really sweet things that are happening. It's an, an event where you invite your family and friends to, to come on over, see the baby, and this is when the baby's name actually gets revealed, and you tell the story of how you named your baby, and everyone brings like a little blessing. So here are a couple of invitations I found, just so you can see them. The first one is cute, says, what are you going to call me? Okay, here's another one, a naming ceremony invitation for twins. And I love this last one. Crosswinds, um, if you cannot figure out what to name your baby, you can ask people to weigh in. This one says, baby naming party, we need your suggestions, okay? So people are obviously doing that these days. Well, if you're going to a baby naming party or a celebration, you have to bring a card, and there's a card for everything these days. And so here's a couple of cards there, postcards that you could take. I wanna congratulate you for this naming ceremony. Your baby is very beautiful. Let it be a wonderful naming ceremony, okay? And here's one more, let's put it up. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Best witches for the naming ceremony of your child. But the special part of these things isn't that you get to have a party or you get to have people over. It's, it's the fact that the parent gets to bring everyone together and say, you know what, friends and family, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is his or her name. And I wanna to suggest to you this morning that what we see in the baptism of Jesus is that it is one of these. It is a naming ceremony. Because as the entire community is gathered together around Jesus at his baptism, as he comes up from the water, water, God the Father, the parent, he says, everyone, this is my much loved son. And it's fascinating to me. We, we have spent the last two weeks talking about so loved, right? That we aren't just loved by God, we are so loved. He so loves you. 
Well, here God does it again. He does it again. He doesn't just say Jesus is loved. He goes out of his way to tell the community that Jesus isn't just his son, which is a big deal, but that he is his much-loved son. And I love the word choice here. Um, it is the Greek word agapetos, and this is what that word means. It means beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. And I think this is one of the most tender moments that we see between God and Jesus. You see, because God cannot help himself when he explains how much he loves. It's not enough for him to say, I love my son. It is too little in this moment just to say, I love my son. He has so much love for Jesus that he says, this is my much loved son. Because this is his naming ceremony. This is his entrance into the world. He has arrived on the scene as an adult, ready to do what he came to earth to do. And all of the people that have been waiting for him, they've been waiting just to get a glimpse of his face for the first time. And this is when God introduces him. This is my much loved, beloved son. And it's like he's saying, this is my boy. Do you see him? Do you see how much I love him? Do you see that I adore him? He is my favorite. He is my sheer favorite, and he is worthy of love. And here's what I want you to see this morning, Crosswinds. Jesus didn't just start being loved in this moment that he was baptized. He was always loved. He was always God's beloved. He was always worthy of love. He has always been those things. But this act of baptism, this naming ceremony that takes place, this is where Jesus actually owns the name. Through the act of baptism, Jesus owns his name. He embraces it, and then he starts to wear it, and then he starts to live into it as the son of God. His first act as an adult before he does anything else is he owns this new name that God has given him and it shapes everything he does from this point out. And I think this is where it gets personal for you, and this is where it gets personal for me. The same thing that God says about Jesus, he says about you. You aren't just loved by God, you are much loved. You are his beloved, you are his favorite, and you are worthy of love. And it works the same way for you that it did for Jesus. God doesn't just start feeling that way about you the minute that you are baptized. God has felt this way about you your entire life, whether you have been baptized or not. And as you sit here this morning, what you need to know is that you are God's beloved and that you are worthy of love. But I'll tell you, even as those words start to fall and even as you hear them, many of you have not owned the new name that you have always had and you've had it your entire life because all of those old names, they just keep following you and it has prevented you from getting close to God and you just keep trying to outrun them. I'm just gonna outrun them because at your core, you really don't believe that you can be anything else. I remember when I was baptized, I was baptized at the age of eight, and when I decided to do that, I went and sat with my pastor, and he tried to explain baptism to me, and he drew a hand, and he put a word on each of the five fingers. He wrote, sin, grace, forgiveness, faith, life. 
And he said, as long as I believed that Jesus took away my sins through his grace on the cross, and if I believed that and I had faith in Jesus, that I could have a new life in him and I could be forgiven. And at that time, at eight years old, what I came to understand was that baptism was a response to a decision that I had made one moment in time when I decided to follow Jesus and the grace that he has given us. And it, that really is what baptism is when we talk about it here at Crosswind. It's about that decision that we make. We draw our line kind of in the sand and we decide to follow Jesus. But what we need to see this morning is that baptism is also more than a response to a decision. It's more than just believing, crosswinds. Baptism is a way for us to stop identifying ourselves by what we have done and what has been done to us and start identifying ourselves according to who God says we are. Baptism is that moment when we start owning that new name and that new identity that God has given us. It's when you rip off that old name tag and you put on a name tag with your new name. I want you to watch this. For many of you this morning, you believe you have been a Christ follower for a long time, but there are some of you out there who have not owned your new name because those old names have prevented you from being baptized. And for some of you, it is time for you to do exactly what you saw in that drama earlier. It is time for you to stand before Jesus and say, I am ready. You don't have to wear all the gear, but I am ready. I am ready to own my name. And some of you might be hearing this for the first time this morning that you can't even believe that there would be another name other than the ones that you've been carrying around and you are so ready to start living into something different, something that gives you a real hope and identity. Well, I am telling you, if anyone here is ready to start owning that name, we are ready to baptize you. We've got a church-wide baptism coming up Sunday, October 23rd. After this service in the courtyard, we are just gonna baptize everyone who is interested. I would love nothing more than to help you get ready for that baptism event. There's two ways you can indicate 
that uh, you would like to participate, you can email baptism at crosswindschurch.org. Or after the service, our teaching pastor, Andrea, and I, we're going to be right down front. We would just love to hear your story and connect with you and kind of talk you through what that process looks like for getting you ready to participate in that baptism. But here's one I don't want to tell you. Once you say yes to doing this, there might be some temptations, temptations that come your way. And I want to give you a little heads up about what those two things are, just two of them two things might start to happen to you. The first thing that might happen is you might be tempted or taunted even to believe that you are not really this new person that God says you are. You might be tempted to question this new identity that you have been given, and the reason I know that this might happen is because it happened to Jesus right after he was baptized. Before he started his ministry, he went into the wilderness and he was kind of fasting and praying and getting ready to start his ministry. And the Bible tells us that a tempter, um, a being, a deity named the devil, came and tempted him. And in Matthew 4.11, this is what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And you see what this devil guy is doing is he is calling Jesus by his new identity, his name, son of God, but he uses the word if, if. You know what we call this in English? We call it an if clause. And an if clause is used to introduce something that is hypothetical, something that may or may not be true. You use an if clause when you want someone or something to question their reality. And the devil uses this one here to get Jesus to question his identity by saying, if you're the son of God, like, are you really? Are you really the son of God? And I'll tell you, this same temptation might happen to you, but what you need to know is that your new identity, your new name is not an if clause. It is not a hypothetical. It is a reality that you are exactly who God says you are. You are much loved. So if this temptation happens to you, it might. It's all right. Happen to Jesus. Just don't listen to the voices. Just liar, liar, pants on fire, right? It's a lying voice. Don't listen to it. So you might be tempted to doubt your identity. And the other thing that might start to happen is you might start to feel like you are not ready because there is something in your life that you don't have right or that you need to fix. And I'll tell you, I've been doing this a long time. I've been on staff here for 18 years. And for 15 of those years, the role that I have loved more than anything is helping people prepare for baptism. And I cannot tell you how many times someone will call the morning of or the day of, and they'll say, I can't do it. I just can't do it, I'm not ready. There are too many things in my life that I have to fix. There's too many things that I'm screwing up. I just can't do it. And I'm not judging that. I respect people's decision um, for why they might not wanna do this, but, but please hear me. You don't have to fix anything or get anything together or figure anything out or be perfect in any way before you are baptized. So. Let me say it this way. You don't have to make a new life happen in order to be baptized. Baptism is actually what kickstarts that new life. And all you gotta do is say, I'm ready. I am ready to own my name. Let's do this.
let's do this. And so as we close this morning, let me just ask, if you're tired of trying to outrun the old names, what would it look like for you to just stop running and be baptized? What is stopping you? And if you're someone who is sitting here and you have believed for a very long time that Jesus is the Son of God and that he loves you and that you are much loved, but you have not owned that name, what is stopping you? What is stopping you from owning the identity that you have had your entire life? You are much loved. You are beloved. You are God's favorite. And you are worthy of love. Let's stand together and pray. God, I thank you so much. Um, you don't just love us. And every, every time we turn around, we are seeing these examples of being so loved, being much loved. And this is the identity that we have had our entire lives. But God, some of us have not owned that identity. The names just keep playing, plaguing us. And so I ask that you would just help us to be brave, help us to look at those names. And maybe some of us are so tired from running. Help us to have courage to take that next step. God, we thank you so much that you love us, that we are much loved, that we are your beloved. In your name we pray, amen. Chris and Mike will be out at Connection Corner. Andrea and I will be down front if anyone wants to talk about baptism. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.